You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, we're sitting down with Dr. Marshall Glesby to talk about the effect of the MPOX virus on people with advanced HIV for a special edition episode. Marshall is the Regional Clinical Director for the NECA AATC and Associate Chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases and Director of the HIV Clinical Trials Unit at Weill Cornell Medicine. Thanks so much for being here, Marshall. Thanks, Mariana. It's good to be here. So, Marshall, let's just dive right in. What is this latest update regarding the MPOX virus and people with advanced HIV? Right. Well, at this year's CROI, the Conference on Retroviruses and Opportunistic Infections, sort of the major HIV conference, uh, there was an international research group led by Professor Chloe Orkin from the UK who presented data on severe manifestations of MPOX, formerly known as monkeypox, in people with advanced HIV disease. And the study was actually concurrently published in The Lancet, a prestigious medical journal uh, online. And uh, prior to this report, most of the cases of people with HIV, the series of cases that have been published, predominantly include people with, uh, included people with high CD4 counts and suppressed HIV viral loads. And most of these series really reached the conclusion that the manifestations of MPOX infection and the outcomes were similar to people without HIV. The CDC, a number of months ago, did report 46 people with HIV and uh, MPOX who uh, who had uh, low CD4 counts and uh, noted that there were 12 deaths, five of which were actually attributable to MPOX infection. But if you go back to uh, an outbreak of MPOX in Nigeria in 2017, 2018, that really didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, Investigators there noted that there were worse outcomes, including death, reported in people with HIV who were more immunocompromised. So there was a little bit of background information about this, but the current report was really the biggest series to date, and it included uh, clinicians from 19 countries who reported these cases. Three quarters of them were from the Americas and one quarter from Europe. And in total, they had 382 cases of people with MPOX, with HIV, who had CD4 counts of less than 350. Almost all of them, 96%, were cisgender men, and over 90% were known to have HIV already when they were diagnosed with MPOX. The rest were diagnosed concurrently with with both infections. About two-thirds of these people were considered to be adherent to antiretroviral therapy, 
and a little over half had undetectable viral loads. And it turns out only 5% of them had received the uh, MPOX vaccine as pre-exposure prophylaxis to prevent the infection. And in this report, they described very severe manifestations of MPOX, especially in those with very low CD4 counts. Can you talk a little bit about the symptoms that people with advanced HIV and MPOX exhibited? Sure. Well, overall, 25% of them had skin complications, and these included large rounded ulcers with necrotic centers and raised borders. So not the typical uh, manifestations in the skin, but really these um, uh, very uh, ugly appearing, I don't mean cosmetically, but from the, the medical perspective, you know, really severe looking skin lesions. And um, 11 of the patients, 3% of them had multiple bilateral diffuse pulmonary nodules seen on radiologic imaging. And most of them were perivascular, meaning like around the blood vessels, suggesting that the virus spread to the lungs through the bloodstream, or what we call hematogenous dissemination. Three of these patients actually had bronchoscopies, where they had uh, you know a tube put into their airways to sample the fluid um, in the lungs, or uh, even had biopsies of the lung. And all of them had the MPOX virus detected by PCR. Three percent of these patients had neurologic involvement, including one patient with brain involvement and cephalitis. 20% had secondary bacterial infections, uh, including cellulitis, abscesses, or even sepsis. And all of these manifestations were much more common in people with CD4 counts under 100 compared to over 300. Overall, 28% of people were hospitalized, and of these, one quarter of them died. And in fact, um, overall, all of the deaths were in people with CD4 counts under 200, and 30% of people who had CD4 counts under 100 actually died. And were these patients treated for MPOX? Well, Mariana, there's, there are actually no FDA-approved therapies for MPOX, so care is generally supportive. But the one drug that has been used most commonly is a drug called Tecaviramat. It's FDA-approved for smallpox, but it's been used for MPOX because the viruses are, are similar. And um, the, this drug, Tecavirumab, is actually being studied actively in a, a NIH-funded trial called STOMP. And uh, this trial is enrolling in a number of sites uh, throughout the United States and I believe some countries uh, internationally. And even if uh, people have patients uh, and are not located near one of these sites, they can be enrolled remotely and um, you know, have all their visits done uh, via telemedicine and have drugs shipped to them. So I just wanted to make people, you know, people aware of that. And um, I think the website is Stomp. Uh, you can just Google Stomp and, and uh, trial and get the information. The, uh, and then aside from that, there has been uh, an expanded access program that the CDC has run uh, prior to the availability of this trial. And now uh, it's really only for people who for some reason can't uh, enroll in the Stomp trial. So a number of people have been treated in this country with this drug through the CDC program, and uh, a modest number of people have enrolled in the STOM trial so far. Less commonly, people have been treated uh, with a drug called cytofavir, which is a drug that's FDA approved for cytomegalovirus uh, infection in people with advanced HIV. Uh, it's not a drug we've, you know, I think is that is commonly used anymore. It, it had been used more commonly before we had more effective HIV treatments. And then there's an oral prodrug of cytofavir called brincytofavir. 
the problem with both cydofovir and brinsidofovir is that they have significant uh, potential for toxicities. With cydofovir, it can be renal toxicity, and brinsidofovir has been noted to have uh, hepatotoxicity. Cydofovir can be prescribed off-label for MPOX because it is available as a CMV drug. Brinsidofovir is not available. It's not FDA approved, but it's uh, available through a single patient investigational new drug or IND mechanism uh, from the, the CDC. And then even less commonly, there's something called vaccinia immune globulin IV, which is a, a concentrated antibody preparation against the vaccinia virus, which is a virus that's been used as a smallpox vaccine and uh, in one form as an mpox vaccine. So there is an antibody preparation uh, that has been used, and it's been, I think, most commonly used in these severe cases seen in people who are uh, significantly immunocompromised, including people with advanced HIV. So back to this uh, this uh, uh, presentation and, and publication by uh, Chloe Orkin and colleagues, 16% of people in, in that series were treated with tecoviramat, 2% with cytofavir and uh, or brincytofavir, and another 2% with this vaccinia immune globulin intravenous, or IV. And um, they did note that of five people who were treated with tecoviramat, um, uh, there was resistance noted, three of them, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Five people treated with tecovirumet were tested for resistance, the development of resistance, and three of these five act, had mut a mutation that's been associated with uh, resistance to this drug. So it was seen, you know, although the number of people tested was very small, it was seen in 60% of the people tested. You mentioned that some patients were newly diagnosed with HIV and about a third were thought to not be adhering to ART or antiretroviral therapy. Were these patients started or restarted on ART in the setting of MPOX infection? Yeah, that's a great question. So just you know, thinking a little bit more broadly to start out, for most opportunistic infections that occur in people who are not on antiretroviral therapy, we start or restart that therapy, even if they're sick and hospitalized, in order to boost their immune responses to the pathogen that's infecting them. This was also commonly done for these patients with MPOX. And uh, when they did this, uh, they found that something called IRIS, immune reconstitution inflammatory syndrome, was suspected to occur in one quarter of those who either initiated or restarted antiretroviral therapy. And of these people, 57% actually died. So iris refers to this sort of exuberant response that the body has against a pathogen in the setting of starting or restarting antiretroviral therapy. So basically, the HIV drugs take care of HIV, and the body is, is sort of able now to produce a more uh, vigorous response to this other infection, which in this case would be MPOX. And it seemed that this was something that had deleterious consequences uh, in this particular series of patients. This has been really informative. And as we begin to wrap up, what else should HIV care providers know about this topic? Yeah, well, it's important to note that this is really a large case series. This is not like a prospective cohort study. And it's possible that more severe cases tend to be tended to be reported here. Uh, and that people with milder symptoms who had advanced HIV, in this case, you know, in the series, it was a cutoff of CD4 count of 
less than 350, it's possible that those people uh, may not have accessed care so that the contributing authors may have therefore overestimated the severity of MPOX in people with, with low CD4 counts. So I think those potential biases have to be considered when we think about this. But nonetheless, I think there's several important take-home messages from this important study. First, patients with MPOX should be tested for HIV, along with other sexually transmitted infections if they're not known to have HIV. And those who are found to have HIV really should have their CD4 counts measured because there does seem to be this you know, significant association between low CD4 counts and uh, very severe consequences potentially of MPOX. Clinicians should be aware that patients with advanced HIV disease can develop severe manifestations of MPOX that can even be fatal. And that starting or restarting antiretroviral therapy in people with low CD4 counts could potentially contribute to deterioration of the uh, MPOX infection and even death. So there probably should be some consideration of deferring antiretroviral therapy in people with very severe manifestations of MPOX, as is done with a few opportunistic infections like tuberculous meningitis and sometimes cryptococcal meningitis. And lastly, people with HIV who are at risk of acquiring MPOX, so primarily uh, men with sex with men or others who may be exposed via sex, really should be vaccinated against uh, MPOX. Marshall, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about this latest development with the MPOX virus and how this impacts HIV care providers and the HIV community as a whole. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nekaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.